0: Good morning. Uh, The reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord.
1: A uh, Very good morning to you all. Good morning, good morning everyone here. Good morning everyone at home. So glad you could be with us. Let's pray. Uh, before we look at this together. Gracious God, in your light we see light. By your spirit make us see today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our question for today uh, is one that goes very deep, frankly. What can break the power of darkness? That's our question. Uh, what does it mean to talk about darkness? Uh, well, in our reading from Isaiah, the darkness was uh, the threat of invasion and the toil and tyranny of that, and all because God's people had gone way off course from God. The darkness today for us is uh, different yet similar for us. One Christian writer, Emma Scrivener, uh, put it like this, and uh, let me read this quote, what is the darkness? It's suffering and death and sickness and grief. But it's more. I don't actually want the light. Because I know that if I look within, I'll see something ugly. There's a darkness in the world, and the darkness in me too. Now, if that's true, that's a very powerful darkness, isn't it? Very powerful indeed. What can break its power? And God's word tells us today, very clearly, that breaking that kind of darkness needs a power that is from beyond us. Now I imagine that you either find that quite a, a comforting thought, or perhaps an unsettling thought. So let's look at Isaiah 9 together so that we can understand it in the way that it was intended. And if you have a Bible with you, then have it open so you can follow along as we go through it. The first thing for us from Isaiah 9 is this. Is that it calls us to admit that all of us live under the power of darkness. And chapter 9, verse 1, uh, tells us that God's people at the time, that's about um, 700 BC, they were living in gloom, they were living in distress. Uh, Verse 2 describes God's people as the people walking in darkness, which means, so they're walking, they're, they're living out their lives or trying to, under a menacing shadow from the border. Uh, so there's been a, kind of, a build-up of, kind of war machines and troops, that kind of thing, kind of staring them down, about to invade. That's what's happening. It also says they're living in the land of deep darkness, deep darkness. Now, um, that puts across that the shadow over the land is, kind of, is death-like. It won't go away. It keeps returning and returning and returning. And for us, that's also true, isn't it? The darkness keeps returning, keeps returning. It's like I'm trying to push a heavy barrel up a hill and it just comes rolling down again and again and again. It keeps rolling back. Darkness keeps returning. Now, has there ever been a newspaper edition with only good news? No, because the darkness keeps returning Have you ever had a year when you've kind of could look back and say, well, take a look at every thought of my heart this past year. I'm proud of it all. No, we've never had that. The darkness keeps returning, keeps returning. Now, when it comes to dealing with the power of darkness, there are at least kind of three different approaches that we might take to that. Let's think a little bit about those. One approach is that we try to ignore the darkness. And this approach says, uh, look, I see the darkness in the world and in myself perhaps, but I'm just not going to go there. You know, it's uh, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, that kind of thing. And uh, that approach is attractive. You know, I, I deeply envy I don't know, uh, my, my colleague at work, but I'm just going to conf- comfort myself with Netflix and not think about it. You know, that dark place inside me, I'm just, I'm just going to ignore it. It doesn't work, though. Really, no, because the darkness always keeps returning, always. And in fact, ignoring the darkness, or well, just could lead us to withdraw from each other, and that's no solution. Uh, a second approach is to accept the darkness, kind of with a shrug of the shoulders, uh, thinking, kind of, you know, darkness is—it's well, just the way the world works. It's natural. It's survival of the fittest, isn't it? So just make the best of it. Now that's consistent with a, an atheist worldview. But the thing is, it can make us very cold to people who suffer. It can make us very insensitive. You no, know, just accept it. Tough luck. And what's more, even many atheists would say that darkness still feels very wrong. It feels evil. It feels like it matters. So again, it's no solution just to shrug and accept it, I don't think. Um, a third approach is to try to um, erase the darkness, thinking um, it's unnatural, the darkness, so with enough human progress, we need to erase it. That's what we need to do. Now, again, that is attractive, except that it fails. It just fails, however much we try. The darkness always returns. And if we expect to erase it completely, we'll become disillusions. We'll be disillusions. What about you? I wonder which of those three? Where do you lean, perhaps? Which of those three? Do you tend to ignore the darkness, or just accept it, or perhaps try to erase it? What's it for you? Uh, to admit that darkness naturally has such a stranglehold over us, well, we can find it awfully difficult to admit that, can't we? Very difficult. It's not something we want, It's not something we like, but doesn't it make good sense of what we experience in life? Darkness is not an illusion. It really hurts, and we know it's not good. And we can't escape it. It keeps returning, keeps returning. Isaiah 9 tells us, admit that we all live under the power of darkness. Uh, This leads naturally uh, onto the next thing. The next thing, which is Isaiah calls us to admit also that to break the power of darkness, we need an act of God. We need an act of God. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. And as I read, notice just how much it is God doing the stuff here. God is doing it. So chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he, God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So that's kind of places that were bulldozed by invasion. But in the future, he, God, will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You, God, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, God, as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Isaiah is announcing to the people an act of God himself. This passage is famous, isn't it, for a language of light and darkness. And the vital thing, again, is that this light is the light of God. It's his light. Uh, God's people at the time, uh, they would have recognized that straight away, I'm sure. Um, Earlier in Israel's history, when God was present with them, the sign for that was light, The light of his glory. And not only that, but as we sung earlier, and if you know the Bible's first chapter, when God created existence, he does it with light. With light. So what it's saying very clearly is that God is the one who's going to do something about the darkness. God's going to do it. And actually, don't you think that that makes a whole lot of sense, really? If suffering... And human sin are problems at the heart of humanity. And as the Bible claims, it's not as the world was originally made. Then surely the only way to break that stranglehold is from the outside. From God who is above the universe. Doesn't that kind of make sense? We're called here to admit that to break the power of darkness, you need a greater power. You need an act of God. And not only that, but we're called here to admit specifically, to admit that only Jesus Christ breaks the power of darkness. Only Jesus. Now let's admit straight away that that kind of claim about Jesus uh, can feel far-fetched. I mean, especially if you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus. You know, that is a big claim to make about Jesus. And there's much that we could discuss about that... But what does this scripture tell us? Well, in summary, Isaiah tells us here that in order to know that God has broken the power of darkness, this is what to look for. So we're not left to make guesses about it. This is what to look for. And the first thing to look for is freedom from enslavement. Freedom from enslavement. That's how we could summarize verses 4 to 5. Where God is saying, that, saying to his people at the time, that giant threat on the border looming over you, I'm going to shatter it. I'm going to shatter it. So let me read verses 4 to 5. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, uh, that was a, a past event in the book of Judges where God used a, a tiny, tiny army to defeat Midian. As in the day of Midian's defeat, you, God, have shattered The yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. So can all the grip and violence that they're under is going to be broken, shattered. Verse 5, every warrior's boots used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So again, um, the state of war that grips God's people, it's going to be broken too. It's going to go up in a great big bonfire in celebration. So the point is, for God's people, when you're freed from enslavement to foreign powers, you'll know. You'll know that God has acted to break the power of darkness. That's what he's done. Now again, for us today... What should we look for? What should we look for? Our situation is different to back then. Well, we should look for not freedom from national enslavement, but rather it's freedom from the stranglehold of that even deeper enslavement. That's what to look for. Friends, do you know what it means? Do you know what it means to live broken free from the stranglehold of our waywardness from God. I don't mean our sin and suffering and evil, that that's totally absent. I don't mean that. But rather, they don't master you. God does. So you can admit that you do, for example, deeply envy that person at work. But in God's forgiveness, I can face that envy and not be mastered by it. That's what freedom looks like for us. But for that to happen, you need the second thing to look for as well, which is this, a miracle child. A miracle child, of course. Now, verse 6, Isaiah tells us, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Now in the previous chapters, God had promised Isaiah that a boy is going to be born about 700 BC. And he's saying, look for that child. Way before that boy becomes an adult, Israel, you'll be freed. Way before that. So look for that child. It's a sign to you. But of course, the reason we read this text at Christmas especially is because the rest of these verses clearly speak of a child to come that is... Truly a miracle in every sense. A child Jesus. God, the eternal son, become human. Born we're told, not well, born we're told through a human woman conceiving before being with a man, because God's spirit has moved in her. And you might protest, I don't believe in miracles, thanks very much. Not for me. Well, let me say. If there is a God who made the material world, then miracles have got to be possible. A miracle is God intervening in his world in a special way. They've got to be possible if there is a God. And the point from this passage here is that it's all the more a miracle because of who Jesus is and what he achieves. Let's read the whole of verses 6 and 7, which speak beautifully of God's Son, Jesus given to humanity. And as we read this, think, think, does any other person even remotely fit this description other than Jesus? Who, when he died, took our darkness on himself, that was God's judgment, to therefore usher in perfect harmony under God's. Let's read verse 6. For to us a child is born, From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Does any other person even remotely fit that description other than Jesus? Isaiah tells us, look for the person whose life can only be explained as a total miracle from God. Jesus, the person who had that kind of miraculously unique combination of Qualities, the righteousness without hypocrisy. Authority, but without abuse. Might, with mercy. Of justice, without becoming a new oppressor. Total and perfect good on the behalf of his people. That kind of life and rule, achieved through his death and resurrection, that is the light that has dawned. In Isaiah's time, they saw it in outline. We get to see it in detail. And one day we'll see it in full color. Darkness totally erased by God's light. Uh, two years ago, a couple um, arrived at St. John's pretty out of the blue. Uh, neither of them had any kind of a church-going background. Uh, they'd recently gone through kind of a real moment of big darkness in their lives. And they said it and made them really think, how can we make sense of what we've just experienced? They took the step to go on a course here um, about Christianity. They were prepared to look closely into Jesus. And they loved who they saw. They saw someone who spoke of breaking the power of darkness, who delivered on that, and now rules over their lives, enjoying the freedom of that broken power. They're following Jesus now. What about you? What about you? Uh, Do you need to look into Jesus more closely? Many people pass through all their life without looking closely into Jesus, including churchgoers. What better thing to commit to this Christmas, of all Christmases, Our short course that Eddie mentioned earlier, just looking that That would be perfect for doing that. It starts mid January. Why not come along? Come along. It'd be great. Or ask us for someone to uh, uh, read with you a short bit of the Bible about Jesus. We'd love to help you in that way. And what's Jesus' invitation today for those of us, the many of us who do believe and trust in Jesus already? Well, actually, it's very similar to admit that we would still be under the power of darkness were it not for Jesus. And to admit that because of Jesus, we are not now under the power of darkness. It does not master us. God masters us. So please, friends, face, face the darkness with courage in Jesus. And that means... Let's not ignore the darkness, just pretend it's not there. We'll just withdraw from people if we do that. But then also, let's not just accept the darkness with a shrug. We'll become cold and insensitive. But also beware, don't try to erase the darkness. You know, I've got to defeat this myself. We'll become disillusioned. Our job is to face the darkness with courage in Jesus to lessen the impact of darkness if we can, to be compassionate to those still under the power of darkness, and to ask people who don't know Jesus, to ask them, do you think there's anything that can break the power of darkness? Can I tell you what I think? We cannot break the power of darkness. But Jesus has. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are truly wonderful. And we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, your son. Give us all the courage to uh, look into him if we don't know him. And if we do know him, the courage to face the darkness, knowing that Jesus has broken its power. In Jesus' name, amen.